Good morning, welcome to NUFC Matters. Uh, this is Steve Ritt. It's a pre-recorded show, uh, The Professionals, uh, pre-recorded on Saturday. And it's welcome to Stu and to Mitch as always. How are you, lads? Good, well, good mate. Yeah, good Good to see you. Uh, what top you got on, Stu? Uh, it's Al-Hilal top from last season, because that was their sponsor last season. But they stopped sponsoring them this season. Uh, and the person who owns them owns Noon as well. So if you want to have a quote, well, Liam Kelly, join the dots. Well, it segues, segues nicely into something that I wanted to talk about. We touched on it briefly on the Amigos uh, on Friday. Um, shirt sponsorship, lots of excitement building. Um, ben Jacobs uh, was asked about it on uh, the, the show on Saturday. Um, what, what's your take? What, what, what are you hearing? What's the, the jungle drums saying um, in Bahrain? Well, we've both been digging about uh, Bahrain, Saudi and Dubai. And... I don't think it'd be right to mention some of the names that have been mentioned if they're not going to be on the shirt. But the the name that keeps bouncing back to me is this one, uh, uh, which is one of the world's biggest real estate companies. Uh, If anyone's been lucky enough to visit Dubai, uh, once you land the airport and you're traveling to your destination, you'll see just Imar everywhere. Um, they've got assets worth about $30 billion. So it's a very wealthy company. It is uh, well-known, uh, particularly in the Middle East and the Far East. Uh, but they have expanded into Africa and they are looking to go into Europe as well. Um, more Eastern Europe, to be honest. So they're, like the, the Serbia's Bosnia, where I'm going next month, Croatia, that's that sort of area. So they are getting bigger and they have the money. That's the most important thing. And the, like we said, the owner owns, he owns many things, but Noon is one of them. So he's, he's quite, must be quite happy with the fact that the advertising that Noon's get been on the side of our shirts. And why not put his main brand on the front? <clears throat> okay, Mitch, what's your, what's your thoughts? Obviously, well, we spoke briefly on Friday about it, but um, lots of lots of people suggesting that it could be noon. They they might have put their hat in the ring. Saudi Airways, of course, we we were talking about on Friday. Uh, any more thoughts? Well, like I said on from Friday's show, I had a conversation with someone who would actually um, introduced a company from the region to Newcastle United. Um, with the the potential to sponsor the front of the shirt. He was told there was already a deal on the table. He was also told to turn down um, Binance because they didn't feel that the whole cryptocurrency um, thing was way, was representative of what they wanted to put on the front of the shirt in Newcastle United. So I thought that was interesting, that they were thinking about positive associations with, with businesses. And that another interest that was firmly registered was from a um, retail stroke, malls stroke, um, real estate group. Now, you could interpret that as EMO. You could interpret that as uh, another big group out here called Magic Alpha Team who deal with a lot of uh, the the malls and a lot of the, the, the um, retail stuff out here. They're also big in the car dealership uh, world over here as well. What this tells me, though, is piff up being clever. Uh, they could do it all on their own with associated businesses and spend their own money. And then you get into the murky world of, is it an associated company? talking about values and talking about what somebody's prepared to pay. And of course, they're pulling out of their own pocket. We did suggest the smart move would be exactly this. Use the regional links and businesses and associations to flex the muscle, to do more cooperation with more companies, to make effectively positions Newcastle United 
not just as Saudi Arabia's team, but as a team for the Gulf region. Even down to the fact where if we end up with, say, Ebar on the front and Noon on the shirt sleeve, that's Saudi and Dubai together, um, which, <laughs> frankly, will get up the nose of Abu Dhabi and Man City quite a lot. Um, and it just shows how regionally these relationships are um, curious and complicated and delicate sometimes. Um, but it's certainly from a, a sponsorship point of view, a very smart move. And if it is Emar, they've obviously seen the value of having Noon on the shirt sleeve to turn around and say, well, actually, for three times more, I can stick myself three or four times more, I can stick myself on the front and get the same global reach and have the same impact within the Gulf that's had having Noon on the sleeve of the shirt. So it, it's, you can see lots of reasons why that would work. And you can see lots of reasons why it would be a smart move for us in, from an FFP point of view going forward. And take away certain sticks that could be used to beat people with because everybody seems to be blaming us for absolutely everything that's bad in football at the moment. Um, and so if you, you, you kill them with kindness by saying, well, look, here's a regionally made bid. It's, it's nothing to do with us. It's, it's at the level we are happy with. It's at the level consistent with where we are at. Um, and it makes a massive difference from it. You know, these are the inroads in the FFP that are so important for to me. I was going to mention FFP there, just for the detractors, uh, well, Newcastle's detractors start digging. Uh, Noon mm. is half-owned by the chairman, Mohamed Al-Abad, who owns Emo, and it's half-owned by PIF. So they've got business links already. They're, but Emo is his own entity, and with the way Saudi are building, especially Riyadh, and you've got Neom and stuff like that, but Riyadh are looking to double its size in the next seven years. Uh, there'll be plenty of bids or uh, bids to be tendered. And things like this, Curry Fever, and that's what Mitch has alluded to many times in the past about helping each other out. So the, it, it, you've got people want to be associated with the success and the 25 million that's been bandied around is what the sponsorship will be. If you look at uh, how much the shirt sponsors are already in the league, that would place us seventh. Uh, so the top six or the cartel six, corrupt six, big six, whatever way the wind's blowing, they're, they're getting Man City at the top with 67 and a half million, I believe. And, uh, and then it's, it drops down to like Tottenham on 40 million. So we're below that. So no one can complain that we're getting above our station too quick. But I'd be surprised if the agreement, if it is 25, isn't laced with uh, caveats or incentives, shall we say. OK, we'll give you this much extra if you get into that European competition, that for that competition, for that, that place. Uh, come and do a pre-season tour around here or when you have breaks, come and play in the region. And... We all know, well, Mitch knows especially, that Newcastle have been using Dubai quite a lot uh, over the last few years. So the, the, the building, the links there as well. So it, to me, it makes sense if, and I stress, if it is Emar, then it's a clean company. It's got a huge, huge, huge reputation of delivering quality. And that's what we want to be synonymous with. We want to be linked with companies like that. Who, who have a, a global reputation of, of being the best in their field. And for it's a win-win for them. They'll get their brand recognized more around the world. The people who are investing in the region, because uh, it's, it's not just people in Saudi and Dubai and Bahrain that buy property. It's, it's bulk from all over the world, especially now Russia and the Far East. And when they see Emo emblazoned across the Champions League playing Newcastle United next season, then, you know, it's it gives it even more kudos uh, and strength. So it's it's a marriage to me that's made in heaven, and uh, and hopefully it's it's the one that gets the, the green light. But there is other things to sponsor, isn't it? There's a standstill to sponsor. There's a training ground to sponsor. You know, there's so training. much more that to generate good money, not just little things like tractor sponsorships and stuff. Well, and that's what this the conversation I had brought up was definitely... The conversation that was had was, oh, by the way, if your people aren't interested in this, we've got training ground, we've got ground opportunities, we've got training kit opportunities, lots of different things. And so they're exploring all of it. 
um, and that diversification um, and, and widening of the income streams is significantly important and clever. The next you see is we, it, it, this would mark, if it was EMAR, it marks a, a definite step in a direction of how we want to be. And the fact that they've knocked back something like Binance, who seem to be popping up on a lot of places recently, um, because they wanted to portray the right kind of relationships with Newcastle United in terms of sponsorships and how the names are shared. Um, I think that's really highly significant. If people wanted to get an idea about what EMAR are and how big they are to buy them all, they built it. Burj if you Khalifa. come in, Burj Khalifa, they built it. <coughs> most, of the, most of the stuff in downtown's got EMAR emblazoned on the side of it. If you go down to Dubai Marina, most of the buildings have got an EMAR emblazoned on the side of them. That's what we're talking about. That's the associations that they're looking at to drive home. And I think it would be a significant one if it is indeed email on the front of our shirt. Um, now, interestingly, the other tidbit I've heard is that some of the designs that are um, doing the rounds at the minute as mock-ups potentially from Castoria. Um, the black and white, there's a black and white home shirt, which has got gold trim on it. And I can say email in gold because that's the kind of colors they would use. I've been told that was for the second kit, it's going to be the same kind of blue and gold combination. And I could see that with EMAR on it as well. And the green one sounds like that's nailed on to be the third kit this year. Um, so again, I'm wondering if that's been done with this in mind or not. Yeah, I would agree, lads. I mean, I've heard the same thing on, on the <clears> strips, <throat> but um, it'll be interesting. 25 million, Stu. Is that enough for you for uh, shirt sponsorship? Do you think? Well, it's what four times more than what they've been getting at the moment, so it, it's a step in the right direction. But as I said, I'm, I'm sure there'll be plenty incentive related. Uh, what's that? I can't even think of the word now. Uh, things added into the into the deal, you know, because if Newcastle have been looking at the rates we've grown, if we sat here two years ago. There was a phrase that we used <clears throat> an awful lot, and that was Newcastle United was a ghost ship just drifting towards the championship, well, the obscurity of the championship, and possibly beyond. And now we're like a super yacht on there. We're just glistening in all our resplendent glory, cruising serenely towards the Champions League. And that's just in the space of two years. So you've got to think, well, where could they be in the next two years, three years, four years, five years? Because we all know the, the aim of the PIF when they took over Newcastle United was to make sure that we were globally recognised as one of the best teams on the planet by 2030 for their Vision 2030, uh, the 100-year celebration of Saudi Arabia. So, yes, we're ahead of schedule, but that's, that doesn't stop you going, you know. So it's, it's, it's things like this that will keep happening. You know, they'll just drop it in at the right time. Here we go. There's... Something I mentioned, I think, maybe more than a year ago, about a racetrack for motor racing, because they're very big on that in Saudi Arabia at the moment. And and again, as Mitch just mentioned there, they're trying not to use the, their their own brands, such as Aramco and stuff like that. You know, they, they don't want any fingers pointed at them, and probably the most commonly phrase used with, uh, phrase we've both used is, they want to do it properly and come through the front door instead of trying to sneak in over the back fence and break yeah. the window and pop in the back door. So I think they're trying to stay clear from their own brands, which would have been very, very easy. Uh, but that, to me, that would have ignited uh, or refueled the fires that are burning against us anyway. So if other companies like Evo want to spend £25 million, they'll get value out of that. For sure, they'll get value out of that. You know, and it won't be long before they'll have like Newcastle themed buildings uh, here in the Middle East, you know, like a, a museum for Newcastle, um, interactive things, because that's what they are, especially in Dubai. If it's biggest, best, first, fastest, they want it. Uh, and Newcastle are quite rapidly becoming the best. So like I said, the associations, uh, 25 million is a figure that's been banned around. It was a figure higher than the one that Mitch showed yesterday. Mitch, was it? Sorry, Friday. Mm -hmm. Yeah, from the the other company mentioned Alpha Team, that was twenty two. So that could even increase because nothing's been finalised yet, and also we know it has to go through their Premier League's approval system as well. 
So that's why, to me, I think they've went in at a figure that the law will definitely be accepted. But I'm sure it will increase as uh, our presence globally increases as well. Mitch, uh, you know, 25 million a year, as Stu's already said, is, is a, hell of a, a hell of a difference to what we're getting at this moment in time. Um, you know, it, it, but some people I'm saying, oh, that's not a great deal of money. I mean, I, I think a lot of people just say this for the for the crack and, and just to get a reaction. I mean, for me, it's a huge step up. And of course, it will help the financial fair play situation that we're in at the moment. Well, to be realistic, the, the playing situation's chucked with three years ahead of schedule. <laughs> no, I don't think anybody could have predicted what we were going to do on the pitch this season. Um, we've had to play this smart. We couldn't come in and say, right, there's 50 million a year for the show front from um, the PAF owned company. Because one, Premier League will stamp their little feet and kick off about it. And two, that puts we're really just one step behind Man City in one fell swoop. Um, the way they wanted to pitch the 20 to 25 million is basically above everybody else and at the bottom end of the so-called big six. And so where I think everybody probably would have expected us to be this season. The fact that we're now have not had the time for him by being so bloody good on the pitch, um, it can't we can't let that sort of allow the, the feelings about that overtake the financial plan. And the financial plan, as they've said all along, was being very carefully worked out and very carefully planned so things could go forward with as little fractious response from anybody as possible, even though there's still noise in the background going on even now which is all for me is just a big distraction to keep everybody from sniffing around what's really going on with Man United's sale. Um, and so uh, whilst Saudi still seems to be the big bad wolf, um, they've got to do everything right and proper. And I think that that's the approach that they're sticking with and quite right too, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, I think it's uh, it's exciting times. There's no no <clears> doubt about that. The uh, chief executive officer of uh, Aston Villa, Stu, uh, this week had his say. Um, just a long line of people, and um, you know the, the Ben Jacobs show on Saturday. I I, you know, I I let Ben have his say, but I just said, how about this for an idea, Ben? Why don't we have transparency with all twenty Premier League clubs? Why don't we all lay down? Uh, everything that's going on behind the scenes, uh, everyone's skeletons out the cupboard. Why not get the media to, to champion that? And then we can all move on because ultimately it seems to be a witch hunt because Newcastle are gate-crashing uh, the top six and are going to be there for a long, long time. And, the, the, you know, the opposition can't take it. Now we've got Aston Villa, who, in, in the grand scheme of things, are, are sitting in fifth place. They've had a decent run on Arunai Emery. They beat us 3-0. Uh, get getting ideas above their station. And, and of course, Perslow's um, previous jobs on his CV include a, a, a team called Liverpool, for example. So, yeah, what, what did you make of that? Because it was so frustrating to hear again. And, and, and it makes him look a fool. Well, I was working this morning, so I didn't see your show with Ben. But at least I know the one question that you asked him, because I reckon he would have took me out to answer this. Yeah. <laughs> because there's so, so much you could say about this, to be honest. The, but watching the interview, now the who was the lady interviewing? Was it Rigby or something? The, yeah, yeah, Beth Rigby. Who does that? To be fair, she's a political. She's the political editor for Sky Sports, so she's going to be looking for a, a geopolitical answer. That was my take on it. Yeah, uh, well, she could at least sit up when she's interviewing as well. But she was the person who was at the party with Kay Burley from Sky News, wasn't she? During lockdown. So, you know, if you talk about skeletons and cupboards and stuff like that, we'll forget about that, we'll <clears> point the finger at Newcastle. But what Personal kept saying, uh, the way I watched it, I, I was actually laughing through most of it because it was all assumptions. I can see what if, maybe this, uh, let's get it right. If the PAF's fund is 1.4 trillion, that's trillion, that's a thousand billion, right? Newcastle was bought for 300. So that's, if my maths are right, it's 0.002% of their wealth is what they spent on Newcastle United. 
can you really sing? See, uh, Mohammed bin Salman, the the Crown Prince of Saudi Arabia, saying, right, I want Eddie Howe on speed dial, I'm going to tell him he needs to play Jacob Murphy up on the right wing from now on. They've got so much investment. It's, this is where people get now reminded. They think, okay, so the Saudis own Newcastle. They forget how much else they've got shares in, or percentages in, how much they actually own, and the real reason why they're investing they don't get involved and i've said so many times they will employ the right people to do the right jobs they don't get involved with it the chairman comes what three or four times a year you know so yes they have telephones yes they have skype yes they have many modes of contact but they, they don't get involved with someone like darren eels he'll know his remit he'll know his boundaries same with dan ashworth this is what you've got to do they've employed the best people to go and do what they're meant to do and they, they don't get involved. Their job is, in the whole grand scheme of things, is, is to put the money in uh, and be, to back it financially and make sure the clubs run correctly on the right financial footing. And if there is mistakes made in the transfer market, let's say we're going to splurge 200 million next season and we're sitting where Chelsea's sitting now, there'll be a change within the structure within Newcastle. Absolutely, they expect growth and that's what they pay for. So. The way personal was going on, it's it sounded really out of born out of jealousy more than anything else. You know, there was too many assumptions in it, too too many of the times he was wanting to point the finger elsewhere. And if you go into it too much, uh, if I if I do remember rightly, the part owner of Aston Villa is Egyptian, who have an impeccable human rights record if they want to go knocking on these doors. Not. You know, so there's so many people wanting to throw stones at our ever-growing, shall we say, skyscraper that my dad often refers to or referred to. They keep wanting to throw stones at it. Our skyscraper is becoming the Burj Khalifa, which is the biggest building in the world. So we just have to dust it down. There'll be plenty more come out the cupboard. There was a thing uh, earlier today, we'll see because of the show's on Sunday, about the, the trying to stop promotion in the women's football. You know, and it's, it's, it's just, it's not even corrupt. Not even, it's, it's not even hiding now. They're just showing that it's greed. And it's something that I know that George said, it's pure greed. Where is the incentive to try to grow women's football to, to try and get it to catch up with the, the scale of the men's football? And then to have a closed shop this early in the, in the you know, it's, it's too much, it's in, it's in its infancy. The, the one to say you can't get promoted or relegated from that league. Well, surprisingly, I think Tottenham are the other bottom of that league, aren't they? So once again, we swing back round to uh, our friend at Tottenham. And at Mr. Levy, shall we call him, because I, I don't think he deserves a full title. Even his own fans aren't happy with him. So they, they come up with ideas that, Really, sometimes I think it's the old saying, throw enough shit at the wall and something might stick. Like the way Todd Bowley was saying, have a superstars game or a North versus South. And sometimes they just need to like engage the mouth before they speak. You know, the brain's running away with all these ideas and they're just opening up and out it comes. You know, they, they've got to look at the impact. And if you try to stop women's football uh, growing, it would kill it. it, would kill it. And it's all because what Newcastle what three, four leagues below them. Is it really? Are, they, are we really that threatened? Is there that much money sloshing around women's football at the moment that they're scared Newcastle are going to get promoted for a couple of years? It, it, it's mind-boggling how how they do, how they, they live in in this ivory tower where they think they're untouchable. And and I always hark back to when they tried the European Super League and you had the fans of Chelsea, etc. I thought they were magnificent that day, uh, the, the way they went against it, because they would have benefited for sure from being in it. But proper football fans wouldn't. Uh, and someone like Burso, he should know better. That, that's, that's the disappointing thing. He should, he should actually know better than come out with tripe, because that's all it was. It, I, will, I will repeat the word assumptions, because it was. knew nothing for a fact, and it was just mischief making. And really, he... he, he, he if if Newcastle were that way inclined, they could actually sue him for defamation of character. They, they, they really could. But 
I don't think we should give him any more space. He, he's blown his uh, he's blown his hand. He's, he's went all in on on five high, and he's lost. I think he's embarrassed himself more than anything else. Mitch, I got your views on on Friday's show with with mm. regards to that. What what do you think about my my response to Ben about getting all the skeletons out of the cupboard? Um, you know, I mean Keith. Keith, of course, went all in and said, you know, take us to court. Um, but I just think it would be very interesting if um, there had to be transparency at every football club, because I bet you there'd be a few people sweating then. Yeah, you two really right there, would. You know, look, we've already got, and we spoke about Crystal Palace being part owned by a Delaware company, under which you don't have to declare who the directors actually are. What if one of them's a bloody war criminal? You know... What if that was to come out? That would make them look stupid. Make Premier League look stupid as well. Um, not for a moment suggesting it is, but, you know, we don't know. Um, it, as Stu says, of course, you know, the part owns Aston Villa by an Egyptian billionaire. And, um, Ten years in the Middle East makes me think of one word that I can apply to many Egyptian billionaires, unfortunately, and it's not a particularly nice word. Um... You could dig around some of the clubs where there's been injection of money from people like Usmanov, go to Everton and see really what's going on with Mishori. You know, Usmanov, is he still connected to the club in any way, shape or form? But he is. Because he's entangled in so much of Mishori's other businesses. To absolutely untangle him would be very, very difficult indeed, in my opinion. And maybe that's why they've referred the FFP case with them an independent body rather than dealing with it themselves because it seems that the Premier League are absolutely impotent when it comes to applying their own rules. They've got a list of 100 charges against Man City over a five or six year period. That's gone quite again, hasn't it? Which which rather large lumpy carpet has that been swept under? You know, there's all sorts going on and has been everywhere. Um, For years... And I think if you were to make a full full transparency case for a lot of Premier League clubs, I think you're right. I think there'd be a lot of backsides twitching their rabbits' noses all over the place. Because, sadly, when you move into the, that level of finance and that level of monetary involvement, there'd be dodgy deals somewhere along the line, somewhere with somebody. And I think it's getting really, really tired to have us wheeled out as the big bad wolf. Um, and, and I come back to my thoughts about the timing. The timing of this is once again done as a distraction to what's really going on with this farcical sale of Man United as the bids have gone in for the third time. Um, as one's flounced off already and said his bids on the table, why does he have to go through this again? Um whereas one party are saying they want all the club for a smaller amount than what the Glazers have valued it at, and another one saying he wants partial control of the club for about the same amount of money and leave the Glazers with partial um, partial ownership. And then you've got the other interested parties, who how many of them we don't know, who were told, well, no, you don't need to bother with this third round because you don't want to buy all of it, you just want to... To, to take a, a stake in the club. I mean, it's it's just a farce. It's an absolute farce. And it seems to be that anything that the Rain Group does for the Premier League, see also Chelsea's seal, is riddled with mystery, smoke, mirrors, and um, multiple standards. And while all that's going on, it makes a lot more sense for them to wheel out the big bad wolf of Saudi Arabia and have everybody on the media talking about that than talking about potentially one of the real issues, which is this, let's make no bones about it. The farcical sale of one of the biggest clubs in the world, certainly in Europe, and certainly in in the UK. And the way that sale's being handled is nothing short of a disgrace, in my opinion. Um, and it deserves full investigation to the highest level, far more than ours ever did. And it won't. It'll, whatever know, it, they decide, it'll just breeze through. It was never doubted 
where Newcastle or PAF had the money. That was never questioned, was it? Because everyone no. knows PAF. Does everybody money. knows? But there's the big question: Does uh, does Jasm have this money? And it's quite clear he hasn't. So where's it coming yeah. from? And this is where they said, "Oh, look, 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 look," and then they'll you know, get the same old journalist pulling out saying, "Newcastle got accepted. We should get accepted." Or Man United should get accepted. You know what I mean? They'll say yeah. Man United been we. But they don't look at the bigger picture. They've never pulled up any human rights things. And it is it's lazy. But we are robust and resolute enough just to ignore it now. They've never even tried to prove that this 92 Foundation is anything other than a figment of Sheikh Jassim's imagination. Yeah. It has if you're telling me there's a fund out there that's worth seven billion plus, and it doesn't have a digital presence, it doesn't have a physical presence, it doesn't have an office with a phone in it anywhere, and you can't find it, and the only references to it are since February when it was first mentioned by Sheikh Jassy. An unfunded set foundation. Exactly. Exactly. And so it, it, it's an absolute mess. And while this is ongoing, um, they don't want people talking about it. So what's it easier to talk about? Oh, what's... what's your thoughts, Stu, on a potential stadium sponsor? Um, because I've seen a bit of that flying around at the moment. Do you think shirt sponsorship first, which is um, you know likely to be announced, you know, in due uh, due course over the next uh, couple of months? I would have said, and then and then a stadium sponsor or. or how do you see that working? I think they'll maximise every marketable opportunity they can. And they've built up enough goodwill and It's a time they understand it's St James's Park. They understand that's where people want the game to play, but we can't always be linked or or hang on to, to history, you know, if we need to grow. So there's, there's a stadium sponsor there. It'll still be St James, you know, in... For example, it could be, I don't know, use Emar as an example. Emar, St. James's Park. But there's a stand that's desperately sitting there. The, the East Stand or the New Stand or the Old Stand depends how long you've been supporting Newcastle. The, the, the East Stand, where it's got Newcastle United written on, they could easily put advertising on there and they could call out the Emar stand. You know, so you can have a stand sponsorship, you can have a stadium sponsorship, there's a training ground sponsorship. There's, there's so much that would generate a massive income. Um, for example, if you look at the Emirates, that's called, well, the Arsenal's ground is called the Emirates because it's a brand new stadium. They have to look to merge whichever name they will put in Newcastle with St. James. They understand the heritage and the history and they don't want to rock the boat too much, but... We as fans have to start understanding that to progress, these things will have to happen. Now, whether it be if, I mean, I don't know, if, if, you, if you did a straw poll, would you want the stadium to be renamed or a new stadium built called St. James Park? It'd be very interesting to see what come back. Uh, I think most people would lean towards an expanded St. James Park with the new name attached to it, although it still has St. James in the title somewhere, rather than build a, a shiny new stadium somewhere else in the city where I, I think that's what's long-term might have to be the answer regardless anyway. You know, the, we are growing at such a rate of knots. We are growing faster on the pitch than the way off the stand, which is reminiscent of what happened during the Keegan era. Uh, but this has sustainability. And if we are wanting 60,000, 70,000 every week and, and we are a team competing at the top end, we are capable of getting 60,000, 70,000 every week. And that extra revenue goes back into the team, goes back into making the club better, back into making the club stronger. Um, so it's 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 two or three different discussions rolled into one, isn't it? It's, uh, do we ha do we have a new stadium, or at the moment, short term, rename the stadium, rename a stand, get as much money as you can to get us to try and at least compete, not even on an even keel, but a bit behind them, but because we are much better run than others and. We're travelling forward without fear, where others are looking over the shoulders with trepidation. We're in a stronger position than just about every team in the league. I would say all ball Man City. I think every other team now is is fearful, and that's where you get the Aston Villa CEO coming out with stupid comments. Klopp started at the start of the season. 
they've all had they've all took turns referencing Newcastle, and you know we haven't even finished the season yet. So imagine what's coming. Can't wait. Mitch, time to to get a stadium sponsor. Is it too soon yet, or do you think it'll happen in, in you know I, I think next it, year or so? I think everything's on the table, and I think if it's true that they've knocked back violence, so they should because they don't want to, they want to be careful about the relationships they portray with Newcastle United. The naming of the ground and ground naming rights is effectively St James's Park is one of the jewels of the crown. And so the naming rights would have to be, I think, quite spectacular or special. Uh, and I think if the right partner come along, they would go for it. It's a different era now. You know, let's imagine an alternative history, Steve. That day that me and Steve Hastie were coming into St James's Park as you were being escorted out of it down the escalator. Imagine if on that day we'd all been invited in the three we together to speak to our friend Derek. And one of the topics of conversation was we've got this idea about naming the ground. Can we get you guys to talk to the fans and get some opinions and feedback into us before we start to announce it? That would have been taken far better than we've sacked our manager and we've renamed the ground. Get on with it. Fuck you. Because that's effectively what he did. <laughs> on an on, on a, um, international break weekend, so he had two weeks to let everything calm down. Um, hadn't even told the press officer. She was getting phone calls as the, as the trucks arrived with the crowbars to peel the name off the wall. Didn't have a clue what was going on. Um, like many things in the Ashley era, often the idea or the premise was not the bad thing. It was the way it was done and handled. And one thing for sure is naming rights in St. James's Park, I think there's a majority of fans have come to understand uh, over time that it's a potential st stream of income, one that the owners don't have to put their hands in their pockets for, um, and one that enhances the sustainability of the club going forward. And I think a lot more fans understand that. I think it would always have St. James's Park attached to the name. I think nearly everybody would call it St. James's Park, whatever. We wouldn't have one of these awful, stupid press um, insistences the way they did that and they insisted the BBC called it the Sports Direct Arena all the time. Um, the, the only clever thing that happened was when Monga came in and said, we're going to take the rights and we're going to call it St. James's Park. That was a clever move, PR move on their part, to be fair to them. Um, but no, um, I think the, the owners understand that the name of the ground, they're dealing with one of the crown jewels and it has to be handled respectfully and carefully. And I think it will be, and I think we'll make a tidy little penny up. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it'll be, uh, yeah, it, it'll be what it be and it'll, it'll, be a, it'll be a move that the supporters will go for. There's no doubt about it. Obviously, we're, you know, we're, we're banking on Champions League. Stu, you've been very... Um, positive about the Champions League all the way through the season and um, I remember before the Carabao Cup final you were saying you know why not win both a lot of people were just saying one or the other you were saying why not win both but as we edge ever closer in the next uh, couple of weeks we, we, we could cement our place in the Champions League um, we've talked about transfers and, and the transfer window where we're now starting to be linked with um, you know the, the, the likes of DRB again James Madison um, you know, to, to name but two, Scott McTominay is a name that won't go away. Um, you know, is there any new names that you're hearing um, that Newcastle might be linked with? Are they looking? Are they looking for experience? Do you think more experienced players? Do you think? Do you think there'll be bigger name players who want to come to Newcastle now that they're in the champion? You know, you know, once they're in the Champions League. Uh, definitely, the, and I would say that we will get Champions League. It's just whether it's third or fourth, and the way things are going at the moment. This weekend's round of fixtures are fantastic as the ones uh, battling for the Europa League spots are playing each other. Uh, Man United have got Aston Villa and Liverpool have got Tottenham. And the last time I checked, all four of them can't win. So that that's going to have a knock-on effect with us, which hopefully, we'll see, hopefully, we should really be beating Southampton. That will solidify our place in the, in the Champions League. That has to excite any footballer worth his salt. And, and Eddie Howe's made it quite clear in a few of his press conferences when he's been asked about this. He's talking about elite players, players who will improve the squad. He doesn't need squad fillers. The players playing now, some of these will become squad fillers. You know, so three or four, maybe five 
players, but I think at least one of those will be a youth player along the lines of young Harrison Ashby. They, they need to look at the whole picture. But I can see us making three really good quality signings. And, and I still believe Madison's the, the main target. Uh, it's someone that's they've pursued for at least two windows. Leicester are struggling, and even if they do manage to stay up, I, I can't see any player worth their salt with the European Championship coming up, thinking, right, I want to flounder out the bottom end of the league uh, and stay here, or I want to play in the Championship. I, I think you would walk to Newcastle at Madison, is, and they will be more willing to sell, because if they know he's going to leave anyway, they can't offer him what we can as in league position at the moment. The, the, and I don't think they're going to break the bank and offer him too much salary-wise either. You know, I, I think Madison is the main target. Uh, I still think we need a left-back, and I don't need to mention who my preference is for left-back. Uh, and, and I think that's a doable deal as well. Uh, and you start looking, as we've, over the last five, six, eight games, we've lost one. But this winning run, it's like uh, they call it the run into the end of the season or squeaky bum time or anything else. Everything else that gets reference to. But this is where I think our players grasped the nettle and said, but you know what? I, I want to be part of this team. And so many of them have raised their games now. You know, the, the, the praise, and quite rightly, that's been lavished on the renaissance of Joe Linton, of Joe Willock, of Almiron this season, of Sean Longstaff. All these players were, you know, either totally the worst we'd ever seen uh, in the case of Joe Linton as a centre forward. Now he's one of the best midfield players in the, in the whole country. Uh, but we, we can't expect that sort of change to happen in every player. So where would you put these new players in? They would have to be special to displace the way they're performing at the moment. And I think the two positions for me that are up for grabs where we could improve would be left back and the right attacking side where Madison plays. So you've got Madison and Tierney to come in. That would improve our, our first team. No doubt about it, it would improve our first team, which in turn then makes our squad stronger if the Almirons or Murphys and Burns and Targets are then on the bench because they've been performing magnificently this season. But again, we keep using sentiment. You can't have it. You've got to keep moving forward. And there's a... I, I keep seeing people saying we need a defensive midfielder. Do we really? I'm not sure we do. I think uh, Joe Linton could do that job if if that was what they needed. The, and the fact that we're going to be in possession more often than not in the majority of games going forward now, do we need someone to sit back England style? No. Bruno could do that and you could have you know the people running around him. So the... Longstaff, is he worth a place in the team? The way he's performed this season, yes. If they get someone better, it's not going to be cheap, is it? So that McTominay is not playing better than what uh, Longstaff is. By anyone's imagination, he's not playing, playing at the same level as Longstaff. So if McTominay does come, that would just be to sit on the bench to play the odd European game when we've already qualified for the next round or you know, play the League Cup games, give the players a rest. But spending £30 million on him, yes. Spending 50 million on some like Scott, Scott McTominay, they're not play. That's not how this club does it. They'll be spending money, that, that sort of figures, on people who can walk straight in the first team. And that's, I think they'll get Madison for 50 million this summer. I really do. What's your thoughts, Mitch, on the uh, the impending transfer window? And um, of course, getting linked with names plenty, and we'll have a lot of time over the summer to talk about it. But um, you know, we're certainly going to be going to go for, for bigger and better players uh, going into the Champions League. We might find some big big names who we could have only dreamed of uh, this time last year. Will be uh, getting the agents to uh, to ring St James's Park. I think we are. There's a lot of things that you could sell Newcastle United to a player on within the entire structure of the club, the direction it's going in, the reaction of the fan base. And I think as fans, we need to be more open-minded on transfers, less rigid thinking. You know, you see people saying, well, one a six, we want a number eight, we want this, we want that. Any system seems to rely on fluidity and versatility. And then a changing of, of, of players. So you don't want to be somebody who's just a midfield destroyer. 
because there isn't in that the way he plays the the three midfielders it doesn't work like that. It, it's it's not as fixed as that. It's not as rigid as that. Um, I also think we need to be prepared for the odd surprise, and I think there will be. Um, and I, th- I genuinely can't see any footballer worth his salt not want to come and step onto that pitch at St James's Park for a season. The way the project- trajectory that we're on, and you look at what what we're doing as fans inside the ground, and the, the buzz that everybody seems to be bouncing off, and it's this whole synergy thing that when the, the club and the city and the community are in 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 uh, in alignment. By God, it's a powerful force for attraction, and 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 I think we are going to have a mix of exciting young talent, possibly in some established talent on the way up, and maybe it's the odd big name sprinkled in there. Hey, Mitch, remember when we were saying Isaac and people were saying who? Uh, you, you only scored six goals last year and stuff. There, what a waste of money! Now he's a bargain. So the people know what they're doing. They know exactly who they want and what role they want. And as he's just like, said, he can play more than one role. It's like we said earlier this week on, on one of the WhatsApp chats we had. Who would have thought of it? Putting football people into football positions and let them yeah. do their job. Who would have thought that that would work as a football club? You know. Got to, got to ask you, uh, just for your opinion, Stu, because sometimes the way it falls, you miss out on some of the midweek games. Just that that evident performance, because, you know, we, we come from the Spurs game where we blitzed Spurs in that opening 20 minutes. You know, the game was completely out of out of way. But, I mean, the, the Everton game was was, was it was slightly different, wasn't it? I mean, Everton came at us with, with our game plan. You know, they pressed and pushed and hurried and harassed, but they just couldn't cope with Newcastle. And as soon as we got that goal, which... I don't think anybody minded to say it was slightly against the run of play. <laughs> Newcastle then just woke up and went into overdrive again. And, and that that run from Isaac, which he's so unfortunate not to get the assist, was just it was like something out. It was like watching somebody on a PlayStation while you're playing against somebody without a control, wasn't it? It was just <laughs> bizarre. And I mean, he's just he's just going to get better and better. But yeah, give us give us your views on the Everton games, Jim. Well, the Isaac dribble uh, would have been the best assist of all time, I reckon. Uh, and I know I said Willick before was the, the best assist, but Willick's pass was, there's a pass and the dribble, there's two different things here, both uh, creating fantastic uh, goals. But uh, Isaac, Joe Linton, I, I thought he, he was magnificent. He didn't react to the provocation and it was quite clear in their game plan, let's get him booked, let's get him, try and get him sent off. And he was kicked and he didn't get the protection of at least three or four times. So was Bruno, but he's used to that now. Uh, and at the time, Joe Linton showed his maturity. And I think since he's had, well, since his wife's had this baby, there's been the making of him as a person. He's matured. He's, he's become a man. He understands his responsibilities and he follows his instructions to the letter on the pitch. Uh, and he grew with the game. So did Joe Willock, who started the game very slowly. But once... He's got such an engine, hasn't he? But he, he never stops running. And at the end of the 90 minutes, he was still uh, gnashing about like, like no one's business. But the, you get the Joe Littons, he's asked, Wilson's goal, fabulous. The, these will quite rightly get the accolades and the plaudits. But to me, our man, the match was Botman. He's had a, a few wrecks in his armory over the last uh, two months. But yeah, I, I thought on Thursday he was back to his imperious best and he was unruffled, he was cool, calm, collected. Everything that we, we thought he was earlier in the season, he's back. And the confidence running through that team, even when Everton were pushing, we expected that. You know, they had a lot of energy, nervous energy. And it was a case of weather in the storm, they'll burn themselves out. Uh, they will tie themselves out as long as they don't get the, the first goal. And we got one just before half-time, second them. They come out and huffed and puffed as much as they could for them to start the second half, but then the class took over and the the changes were made at the right time because uh, Target had played well, but he was blown out his backside as, as uh, his number come up. Uh, Almiron looked a bit match rusty, 
where you've got someone like Murphy who is on the probably playing the best football of his career at the moment. He's come on full of confidence, and it, it just gives us that impetus. And that it's you know you start watching Steve and you think right, we've got the best owners, we've got the probably one of the best coaching staff, some of the best players, one of the best stadiums. We've got a PR team that we'd be proud of. We've got a social media team that are performing exceptionally well. We've got a photographer. We've even got like Jacob Murphy being his own meme king now, isn't it? Every game he's producing something that, you know, we've got every reason to be proud of this club. And the way they took them apart, they dismantled them. That You could see the soul leaving Everton as the game went on in the second half. And the soul was leaving quicker than the fans. And for, for, for what they were all about with the flares and all the marches and protests that were having, the, the place was empty. We can relate to that. We've been there as Newcastle fans when Everton were consistently thrashing us back in the in the mid eighties, mid to late eighties. It's it's our turn now, and it was, you know, you, you sit and watching, and even at nil nil when they're having the odd half chance, we look composed, and it was never in doubt. You're not worrying, you're not panicking. Oh, they're going to sneak this one nil, as it might happen two or three years ago. It was a game where. We just say, right, if, that, if that's your best, we're going to start playing now. Uh, you've kicked us as much as you can. You've had your shots from long range. That's it. Now this is how we play football, and this is why we're good at the Champions League. And they the took over. It was brilliant to watch the second half. It was really, really brilliant. Talking about uh, kicking, Mitch, you, your dad mentioned something on our WhatsApp group, didn't he? Uh, which I, I, mm. I've got to be honest, I missed. Oh, yeah. and, and this was the old, um, this was the old T Rex in goal. Apparently, when no. Gordon came on, um, motioning the people allegedly. I've got to be honest, I haven't seen it, but um, motioning towards these players about get get stuck into him and give him a kicking. <laughs> yeah, I need to have to, to, to maybe have a look back for that because I missed it myself. Um, yeah. But I mean, of, of all you antics you get out of him, he, he's trying to roll long stuff off the pitch. Was was bang out of order as well. But I mean, what do you expect from uh, a short arm seagull lover? Who knows? He's he always seems to just lose it when it comes to playing against us. Um, and and that for a professional footballer is quite unusual. Um, if if he has made gestures like that, that's um, beneath contempt. It's, it's beneath contempt, really, for a professional footballer to motion that about another professional. Um, no matter what the history, no matter what the what's going on, um, and I thought Gordon, for his part, handled himself fantastic. What a what a very different in, um, look for him. To the petulance he let fly, being taken off at Brentford, you know, um, I thought he handled himself beautifully, um, and uh, with a bit of dignity, and that's certainly not what Pickford did. Did you see it, seen it, Stu? Yeah, he's come out of his box, like probably about 35, 40 yards out, and he's shouting at the player, pointing the corner, and he's moving with his foot to kick him, and then I would like to say. In his defence, he was playing to the crowd, but the crowd had left by then anyway. So it, <laughs> it just shows that the, the, the guy does have a screw as, as Mitch just said there, when he's playing against Newcastle, he, he loses it. Uh, and he was dropped, wasn't he? He was dropped. Well, really he was dropped by someone. I, the, the guy was at Ancelotti dropped him. The, yes. Because he, he says he's, he's, not, he, he's not got the right mentality, but it, it just shows you don't have to be intelligent to be a footballer. And... And you, you must understand that's England. This is not a Scotland England thing, but that's England's supposedly number one goalkeeper. You would never see someone like Nick Pope doing that. And it had nothing to do with football. That was just because he was getting a bit of uh, barricade from the Newcastle supporters, and he, he just he just couldn't handle it. And you know why aren't the Premier League looking at this? Why is if and I, I'll I'll forward it to you on the WhatsApp group. You'll you see exactly Please. what it is. Why aren't the Premier League looking at that and saying that, that to me that could, that's inciting the crowd? That's retrospective, you know, isn't it? It should be looked at. Yeah, it's definitely retrospective. It's the first time I heard it when George mentioned it, to be fair. Yeah, no, it, it was. Uh, there was a couple of cameras, one from the, well, both of them from the Newcastle end, and one of them zoomed in and you, you could actually see him doing it and pointing it, pointing the cordon, and then they uh, said these players kick him. 
And he's like, oh, 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 him over there, kick, kick. And he is terrible. It really isn't. It's, the professional is probably too polite a phrase for it or a word for it. It's something that, that to me, he should be banned for it. He should get a, a five or six game ban and then he can start his new season in the championship when his team gets relegated. <laughs> okay, Newcastle United take on Southampton. Two o'clock kickoff today at St James's Park. The uh, the game is sold out. Uh, Seventeen hundred tickets uh, sold by Southampton, which meant there was a little bit more space in the SJP for uh, Newcastle fans. Uh, ASM, well, he's unavailable, um, but we didn't get the usual press conference from Eddie Howe as he did it straight after the win at Goodison Park. Anthony Taylor. Referee in the game, second game of the season at St James's Park after the 2-0 defeat by Liverpool when Pope was sent off. VAR is Robert Jones and uh, Southampton got more points on the road than they have at home, but uh, they've only got 24 points at the rock bottom. Newcastle United hoping to uh, continue their good form today. Uh, we'll just have a quick listen to Toon Statto before we speak to Stu and Mitch uh, to finish the show and get quick predictions. Hello, guys. What incredible couple of last games. I'm running out of stats, or actually the stats are so many that a couple of minutes are not enough. The team is flying. We have 62 points from 32 games, and we have had only one season with better points tally after 32 games. Is the legendary 95-96 season in the Premier League when we had 30, 67 points after the 32 games. You might remember that we finished at 78 if we win our last remaining six games, we are on course to finish with 80, which can be our best ever season in the Premier League out of 38 games and in total. When it comes to away games, we have already won eight and uh, we have done so only in three previous seasons, back in 93-94, when we played in total 21 games, 2001-2002 and 2011-2012. We still have three away games remaining, so we might as well beat our best ever performance of nine wins in a season. When it comes to goals, we have scored 29 goals away from home so far after the Everton demolishment, and so far the record was 27 in two seasons, 2011-12 and 2002-2003. When it comes to Southampton, we've already beaten them three times this season, and uh, they might become the first club we beat four times in a single season for a long, long time. I need to check since when. But the funny thing is that it will be the third manager that faces us in Ruben Seles. We've already beaten the Saints with Ralph Hasenhutel in his last game for them, and twice with Nathan Jones in the League Cup. So, a legendary season in the making. Let's enjoy it. Hawaii the lads. Up the Champions League we will go. Good stuff as always from uh, Andre Stu. Uh, how do you see this game going against Southampton? If, if there's a Gibby in football, I think this would be it. But you have to be careful because Arsenal would have thought the same just a week or so ago, wouldn't it? But I can't say anything other than a comprehensive Newcastle win. And I know that he's been getting excited with his five ones and everything else. And I've seen you say on the Migos that you're going to have the same bet. Message me earlier and says he's going for eight nil. He's going for the biggest Ooh, win. Well, I've gone for, I'm going for ten nil. Yeah, I've the record on. Yeah, but the eight nil is the score that we got with Bobby Robinson's uh, first game on it, and Shearer got five. So he reckons that we can match that. I don't think it will get as many as that, but. Trying to guess Eddie Howe's team now is, is just mental. You score two goals, you seem to get dropped, don't you? So, who he starts with, but no one's going to complain. And I, and I think this could be the game if Bruno is carrying an injury. It could be the game to rest him. I just wish we were playing Arsenal this Sunday because I think we'd, we'd wipe the floor with them. They're, they'd be so down after getting the backsides handed to them against Man City. The last thing they would have needed would have us, but we'll just have to see that for next week. Southampton, realistically, if they look at their running, I don't think they'll be expecting to get points from this game. They'll be targeting other games. Ward Prowse is carrying an injury. So would they play him? He got taken off injured. Are they going to even risk playing him when they need him for games, more winnable games? Uh, again, everything points to a comfortable home win. And, and how many times has this happened? It's blown up in our face. That's the Stockholm syndrome, isn't it? But uh, I'm going for... Uh, 
Okay, we had the lucky dice on Friday, Mitch, but we uh, we do give you the option when we manage to get you before a game, we give your own prediction. How do you see it going? Are you as um, are you as positive as everybody else? We put the work in, the results should look after itself. It's that simple. Southampton, I watch them against Arsenal, they give Arsenal a good game and they ran out of steam. So they're another one that sure that they can try, uh, but when push comes to shove, they don't have 90 minutes of high energy in the locker. And if we put the kind of work rate we put in and don't come out complacent, um, and there's a crowd, I think we need to let the team relax. If we're not 1-0 up after 15 minutes, don't get twitchy. Just relax, the result will look after itself. And I think as long as we can put the shift in, we'll get the points. Um, I'm not going to say we're going to continue this ridiculous uh, vein of form scoring. Um, I'll take 2 nil and be happy with it. Okay, great stuff, lads. As always, good to spend some time with you. Look forward to seeing you both next week. Enjoy the game, enjoy uh, your beers, and uh, look forward to catching up with you soon. Take care, lads. Cheers, Cheers lads. Cheers. A big thanks to all our sponsors, Skips and Bins, telephone 0800 2545 2533, email inquiries at skipsandbins.com, website Easy contract free and pay as you go waste collection. Thanks also to Mr. Vicky's Handmade in Cumbria. These sauces are really hot stuff. You can order them by emailing info at mrvickies.co.uk or by telephoning 01768 210102. Thanks to Neil and the guys at Media Arts for all the help with the video side of things. And thanks to qtechshop.co.uk, the makers of pool tables and snooker tables in Walls End, Newcastle, and the guys who run our website, nufcmatters.com. If you want to subscribe to the show, hit the subscribe button tonight. It is free. Hit the thumb up under the video to like the video and click share to share to your other social media. If you want to join the channel, hit join. There's three different tiers. Pick the one that suits you and help support the channel financially. If you want to pay a one-off membership fee of £25 and get these goodies, a scarf, a pen, a cup, and entry into the monthly draw, then go to NUFC Matters and look for Membership Pack. Failing that, get your smartphone and put it over the QR code, and it will take you straight there. We're also a podcast, and you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, and other podcast providers usually goes up 24 hours after the show has finished. We also support the food bank on this channel. If you want to make a virtual donation today at the Matchday Bucket, go to nufcfansfoodbank.co.uk and you can make a deposit today. Don't forget to enter the Shira raffle. There's 150 tickets, £1 per ticket, and you can win a limited edition signed Alan Shira ball. Enter now at nufcmatters.com. If you have a look on our website, we've also got a vast range of mugs, T-shirts, cups and whatever else takes your fancy. The Isaac T-shirt is proven popular this month. $16.99 plus delivery from NUFCMatters.com. Don't forget as well, we do a, a range of events over the course of the year. We have Peter Beardsley, an up-close and personal evening at the Time Mouse Surf Cafe. Limited tickets remain 25th of April. Get them now from surfcafetimemouth.co.uk or from ticketweb.uk. There's also an evening with Peter Beardsley on May the 19th at the Tyneside Irish Centre and you can get tickets from newcastlelegends.com and tickets are £50. Don't forget our end of season due takes place 27th of May, 7 o'clock at the Tyneside Irish Centre. Tickets for that one are a tenner and ufcmatters.com is where you can get your tickets for that. In June... Thursday, the 1st of June, to be precise, Rob Lee will be at Louis Liquor Store in the Big Market in Newcastle, and tickets for that are available direct from the venue. And an evening with Rob Lee, Lee Clark and John Beresford takes place the next evening on Friday, the 2nd of June at the Grand Hotel in Gosforth. This is a charity event, and tables are of £10, £700, and you can book them by contacting natalie at healandtour.org.uk or visiting their website. In July, Gavin Peacock is in Newcastle on July the 10th at the Tyneside Irish Centre. Tickets for that are available from nufcmatters.com. And he also uh, takes uh, an evening with at the Surf Cafe in Tynemouth on the 11th of July. So get your tickets direct from the venue for that one as well. And if you're a boxing fan, the Night of Champions 
Ricky Hatton, Frank Bruno, Nigel Benn and Joe Calzaghe takes place at the Fed uh, and that will be taking place on the 16th of June. More dates to be added. Tickets from all those events, www.goldstarpromotions.co.uk. Thank you. 